It is a good day, church. Man, we're going to finish walking through uh, our beginning of the new year as we walk through the book of Colossians. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. So we're going to be, we'll be in verse 7 and following as we kind of get rolling today and look ahead. Um, and don't you wish you had the energy and excitement of Esteban this morning? Uh, what an awesome thing. Uh, today, we're looking at an unusual part of Scripture. Um, this is the, the very end of Colossians, where really Paul just goes through like a list of names in that. And what he really does, uh, here's the, the spoiler alert, he's walking us through his small group. And it's a very interesting thing to kind of get this insight into Paul. And as we talk about the beginning of our year, we've been talking about just the different things that, that matter as we're being rooted in Christ. And so hopefully you and your small group, if you're in one, have gotten to start walking through God's word together. But we're going to be talking about the value of small group Christian community. That's where we're going today. Um, and I thought I would just tell you a little bit about our journey in that. We have a picture. If you come to my house and you go in the piano room, you'll see a picture of David and Christy Adams, um, about 26 years younger, hanging on our wall. Um, with a group of other people that all are 26 years younger than they are today. Um, when we first got out of um, college, we were trying to figure out where God was calling us, and so went and had breakfast with a pastor in McKinney at an IHOP and called Christy on my way, and I said, we're not married yet. And I said, Christy, this is where God's calling us. And she said, well, did, did they offer you the job? I said, no. She said, but you're sure? I'm like, yeah, this is the only place you need to apply this school district, I know. And, and God allowed that to be the case. And so here we are in this new church plant. Um, we're 22 and taking over the world and we walk into this new church plant and everybody's old like 32 34 like they're they're all they're so old y'all they have kids who has kids you know <laughs> we're walking in and I remember walking to the pastor's office and telling him Mark listen like I'm so excited I don't know what my budget is but if anyone who looks remotely like us walks in the door, I need permission to take them out for lunch or something. And the people on our wall are our first small group. Um, we were all hungry together. We were all childless together. We were all broke together, right? But we had time, which was more valuable. You know, we, we did everything. It just seemed like together. When one started having kids, guess what? We all started having kids. You know, it's just such a special, special group of people. And then, after about four years, God moved us to Longview. And in doing so, that first small group, who we're still friends with today, spread out all over Texas. And out of that small group, some are coaches, some are teachers, some were in the uh, food and industry, and now are ministry. They're all over the place. It's pretty awesome. Some are going through some hard times. But when we went to Longview... We thought we need a small group. And there were people our age. By this time, we had Ashley, which made us old at 26. You know, like we were ancient. But there were other people like, like that around us. And, and we tried to build that same recreate where we had been. We tried to start over. And do you know what happened? You can't. That season of life never comes back around again. 
And so part of us come to wonder, like, God, we were so hungry for small group community then. Now we know we need it, but it's not coming like it was. Like, everybody has a life. Everybody has kids. How do we do this? And so our small group started to form in a very interesting way. Christy just started saying, who wants to have lunch after church? And so we, we had a schedule of where we were going and just invited people. And over four years, as we invited people to lunch, more of, more of us started going to Sunday lunch together. And about a year and a half left in, we had a small group. And, and it was great to share life with, life with, enjoy with. And by about this time in 05, Christy, I think God's calling us to pastor. And so in 06, now I have two kids. And we go to a church of 70. And they're the only kids who aren't grandkids in the nursery. But now I'm the pastor, and so maybe a small group's not as important anymore. There were times where I looked back to my small group in McKinney, and I just longed for it again. There were times when I looked back for what we finally built and were a part of and needed in Longview, but, but we couldn't do it again. And then over eight and a half years, God gave us a small group two or three other couples just to run life with to cry with to pray with to celebrate to go to each other's things our activities were whose flag football game are we going to go to to celebrate that was our life group stuff it wasn't anything like the freedom of no kids and everything is new and we're going to conquer the world and then we came to Pearland and nine years ago just saying God we know now we have to be in a small group but something started to change. We started to say, God, we don't want to try to recreate what's been. We want to know what you want for us now. And over nine years, we love our small group now. About 12 of us meet in our home on Sunday afternoons, all different stages and phases of life. You know, our kids are some of the youngest, which is all nice all over again. But I will tell you, in each season of my life, there were moments when I thought, I don't know if I need small group community the same way everybody else needs small group community. But anytime that thought came up, the reality of life hit. The reality of how God designed me hit. And I will tell you that I found a need for what God had designed. And through our life now, I would tell you whatever it takes, wherever God would move us to the ends of the earth, we would say, God, you've got to bring us into small group community. Here's what I have learned. The older I get, the more work it takes on my part. There's a lot more excuses. When you're broke with no kids, everybody's playing Parcheesi on Sunday night. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't have anything to do. But the older you get, the busier life is. It, it wants to steal and mimic what God's design is. And I want to let you know, 47 years into this thing, that now it takes more effort than ever and it is sweeter or as sweet as it's ever been. And it's fun to check in with my small group friends from the past and just say, what's God doing in your life? And all of us love each other still. We all talk about getting together and not don't do it. But it's amazing to see what God has designed us for in community.
when we read the book of Colossians, the letter of the Colossians, I want you to know that the Colossian church was not some large church. It wasn't probably even what we would call a small church. It's probably a small group. It's probably just a, a few handfuls of households getting together, trying to follow Jesus Christ. And it's interesting, Paul has never been to Colossae. He's never made a, a step in their church. He's never been to their place. But, but he shares with them something pretty amazing, which I think is important for all of us. I would tell you this, that the Colossians begins with saying, Jesus is exalted. Like if you want to know what the foundation for your relationships should always be, it's Jesus is exalted. If your foundation is something else, then I'm telling you, Scripture would say you're missing out. You, you, you're completely buying in to a sugar rush that will leave you crashing harder than you started your day with. He says, no matter what goes on, if you read nothing else in my letter, I want you to read Jesus is exalted. But then he says something else. He says, there's a reason for my suffering. There's a reason for my suffering. In the, in the next part of the book of Colossians, he doesn't talk about how awesome life is. He's in prison. He's suffering for the sake of the gospel and it's for the glory of God and the good of Christian community his small group not just his small group but all the small groups he's bounced around in in his time as a believer and he says there's a reason for my suffering that glorifies God and it's good for you and then he says something to them he says to the church he says listen for you I know that you're struggling I know that difficulties come upon you but here's what I want you to see. Just like my suffering is for good, your struggling is good. You're wrestling, the pressure that's coming upon you. There were two factions pulling on this small church, this small group. Some wanted them to just put their Christian religion and stuff it into the rest of their life under all the other gods, the gods of procreation, the gods of athleticism, the gods of financial prosperity. The gods of America aren't new. They've been around a long time. And they're just trying to say, would you just shove them in to that? And then there's another group of the circumcision, hardline Jews, who are saying, you can't have the freedom that Jesus offers. You can only have that if you do it under the law, under the way that we frame it. And so they have this struggling. And what we normally want when we're struggling is what? Relief, right? When your body is hurting and hurting and hurting and hurting and hurting, do you long for the days when you could like bend and not break, when you could leap tall buildings and about, or are you just praying for the hurting to stop, Right? Because when we're under suffering and under attack long enough, sometimes our prayers just plumb, God, give me relief. And Paul says, don't pray that way. Don't pray that way. You're suffering, you're struggling. This perseverance is happening in you. It's for the glory of God. It's good for you and it's good for those around you. And then he ends this, this passage, this book, by saying, listen, live 
looking up. He points them back to Jesus. Live looking up. If if you want to know if you should do A or B, live looking up. Let Jesus define it for you. If you need to know this is what is worth it and this is not, live looking up. He is worth it. He's worth all of it. Not just the suffering and the struggling of the day, but the glory and the joy of tomorrow. He's worth it all. And, And that's what Paul's letter is. It's just this encouraging letter. It'd make a great sermon, amen? And then he ends this letter with this list of names. If you have your Bible, read it with me. It'll be uh, Colossians chapter 4, verse 7. We'll read through 14, and we'll stop at verse 14. After all of this, he says, Tychicus will tell you about all of my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, Uh, they'll tell you of everything that has taken place here. Uh, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Paul, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they've been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you and always struggling on your behalf in prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will, in all the will of God. For I bear witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Paul goes through this list of names, this kind of one after another after another. Why would he end this letter of such great encouragement? Jesus should be exalted in my, in my witness and my testimony. The suffering's worth it for Jesus to be exalted. When you're feeling the pressure of the world, don't give up because God is worth it. Live up. And then why would he go into this? I think there's something about pressure that tests us a little bit, doesn't it? I mean, pressure really proves who we are, why we're a part of something, if we're really all in or if we're not all in, right? It really, it really shows who we are. Remember, remember, and I've shared with you before, I almost walked away from a whole little league game, almost made our whole team quit because the other church coach was acting like such a jerk. I didn't love baseball enough to teach my kids the lessons he wanted to learn, he wanted to teach them. That pressure does it kind of like water have you ever been to the aquarium downtown if you haven't it's a great look there's this huge aquarium in the middle of the whole building that goes all the way up and you know what that water does it wants out it puts pressure on that glass all the time if there are cracks in the glass if there's chips in the glass if there's smudges in the glass that water reveals it all And and the reality is, is that really our life kind of takes that pressure in the same way. It reveals where there's true consistency, where there's been breaks, where there are issues, where there's weaknesses, where the seams have gotten uncared for. So what do we do? I would tell you, I think scripture is intentional because I think our God on high is intentional. And I think he put this list at the end to show us and to show the Colossians church 
when all this pressure is around me, one of the gifts God has given me is this group of people. And I just want you to know them. They wouldn't have known most of the names, just a couple of them, and what they would have known about them wouldn't have been fantastic. So this morning, I just want to walk you through Paul's small group. Are you okay with that? If you your Bible, chapter 4, verse 8, or excuse me, verse 7, to start off with, and 8. The Bible says it this way. Tychicus will tell you about all of my activities. He's a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for the very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your heart. I want you to know this is not the first time you'll ever see this name in Scripture. You'll find it in Acts chapter 20, verse 4. You'll read the name Tychicus, and you'll only read it one way. There were seven men that were journeying with Paul, for sure, from Greece to Jerusalem. Most likely, these seven men were also in Ephesus when the riots started, when, uh, when Paul was once again abused by the local people. And so Tychicus has been with him on this journey in Acts chapter 20, verse 4. We find him all the way to here. But what Paul calls him tells us his role in Paul's circle, in Paul's small group. It says, Tychicus, um, we'll tell you about this, he is a beloved brother, fellow minister, and a fellow servant. Faithful minister and a fellow servant of the Lord. Paul uses these words, and these are really personal words. If you just thought about it in your own life, you have friends, and then you have that friend. That friend that says, listen, their heart is all in, just like my heart is all in. I, I, I love him like a brother. They are faithful to the Lord, and they're sold out. The fellow servant literally means he's a slave to our call you know there's something pretty awesome about having someone like that in your life isn't it someone who says we are going to run this race till the race is done C come come <laughs> high water right Jesus is our all in all and when you fall I'm going to speak Jesus I'm not going to tell you what you want to hear I'm going to speak Jesus to you because we're going to live this calling in a worthy way. This is the person who, who intimately just cares about you and your life. Someone who doesn't get distracted over and over again by the things of the world. But when he does, you're there for him or her and they're there for you. This is the guy Paul says, if I'm sending anyone to tell you about the goodness of the people of God and community, it's Tychicus. You may not know him, but I'm telling you, he's the best representative I can send your way. I trust him. I trust what he's going to say. I trust what he has already thought. I trust how he has prepared his life. In the small group, he's the faithful minister. In your small group, you might say, well, if so-and-so's ever at, stepped away, this is Tychicus is gonna step in and lead the discussion because he's been through tough times he's seen what happens and he's always faithful not to Paul but to Jesus 
See, there's value in having someone like that in a small group, isn't it? There's a desire to want to be that kind of person. God, could, could I just be a, a man or a woman that, that could just be a faithful member of a small group? My motivations are right. My heart just says, God, how can I help best your mission, your plan? Tychicus. The Bible goes a little bit further in verse 8 and 9. Tychicus is being sent, but verse 9, not just Tychicus. It says, and one with him, Onesimus. He's a faithful and beloved brother who's one of you. And they will tell you everything that's taken place here. Onesimus, that, that name would have sounded very familiar to the Colossians in this church. He was one of them. But you know how he was one of them? If you turn a few pages to the book of Philemon, it's really about a runaway slave who, who ran away. It doesn't say he was mistreated or anything. It just says he ran away. And on the run, this slave met and encountered Jesus Christ. And on the run, running from his reality, running from his past, trying to create a new present, he meets Jesus. The slave is from the same town as this church. And most likely, the Christian man was a part of this small group. The last time they knew about Onesimus, he was a runaway, abandoning whatever role. And now he's coming back as a messenger with two letters, one for the church as a whole and one for his Christian owner that he ran away from, saying he's no longer a slave but a brother. I trust you'll set him free. There's something about having an Onesimus in our life. Someone that has a past, someone that has a present, someone that encountered Jesus on the run. There's like a vibrancy in their step. There, there's a, I'm willing to risk it all. To me, we've all been an Onesimus at some time, trying to start over again. Maybe that was you leaving high school to college or college to adulthood. Or maybe it's the reason you left town A to town B. You're just trying to start over. And, and somewhere along the way, you met Jesus, and all of a sudden, everything is new and awesome and incredible, and you're willing to take on the world. You're willing to set things right and deal with it because there's a newness to your faith that maybe you haven't forgotten to tend yet. And that excitement... It's what says, I'm going to build relationships for the glory of God. I'm going to run hard after Jesus. And yes, if it means confronting my owner and putting my life in the hands of God and this man's decision, so be it. It's kind of fun being around a new Christian, right? Remember when we used to go to camp with teenagers? We'd call it the camp high. And I remember the youth minister friends just saying, hey, listen, this is camp high, but when you go home, life's going to stink again. I'm like, wow, that's horrible. It's almost like I want to prepare you that what you're experiencing now is supposed to end. It's only supposed to end because you neglect to fan the flame. 
And most of us have neglected to fan the flame. And so we just kind of makes us feel better that we're just helping this poor kid out. It's nice having an Onesimus in the group. He, he's the finding member of the group. Everything is new. Everything's awesome. Everything's exciting. Let me tell you, if Onesimus is in my small group, or if you are, there's two things I know. One, Onesimus is going to need encouragement because he's going to come up to things he's never come up against. He's going to have questions he hasn't had. Sometimes he's going to be arrogant because sometimes when we come to know Jesus Christ, that originally we know it all perfectly. And so he's going to need biblical encouragement. But let me tell you what Onesimus gives to me in my small group, an excitement and a passion. That's why I would tell you, if you're in a small group that's not growing, you'll become passionless over time because you've stopped looking for Onesimuses to join you. That spark that reminds you it's not about you being comfortable with the group of people you're with. It's about the kingdom. And I think sometimes we don't want to go into a small group because we're in Onesimus. We don't know the church things. We don't know what to say. We don't know the passages. We don't know how it's supposed to go. We don't know the insider speak. And so maybe that's an excuse not to go in. All the more so, let me tell you the reason, if you're in a small group, that you should always be saying, God, who are you drawing into your kingdom that I might benefit from pouring into them and the passion they have? And if you're in Onesimus, all the more reason to say you don't want to lose your passion you don't want to become arrogant for the kingdom you need to be around people who will help your passion become mature and you can see that God has a plan for you today and for tomorrow it's nice to have a Tychicus it's nice to have Onesimus look in your Bible verse 10 Aristocrus my fellow prisoner greets you now, Aristocrus is not a name that gets passed around. Like, there are Pauls in the world and Lukes and Marks, but there are very few Aristocruses, right? It just, it just doesn't work. Do you know, outside of Mark and Luke, who we'll kind of get to know later on, Aristocrus in, in Paul's small group is the most mentioned part of his small group in the Scripture? Outside of those two. He's mentioned three times, all in the book of Acts. The first time he's mentioned is in Acts chapter 19, verse 29. Paul has created a riot. People are coming to know Jesus. People are losing money. So they start a riot. Who do they grab? They grab two guys who are known to be connected to Paul, Gaius, and guess who? Aristocrus. There's, there's a group of seven men we talked about on this journey from Ephesus through Greece to Jerusalem. Guess who's one of those guys? Aristocrus. And then in the craziest places in Acts chapter 27, verse 1 and 2, Paul has been arrested. He is being put on a boat. That boat is filled with prisoners appealing to Caesar. It's set out for port. It's about to crash. Guess who is on the boat? Aristocrus, not because he was arrested with Paul. You see, Aristocrus, if he was a Texans fan, I'm pretty sure his shirt would be off and his chest would be painted every week. You follow me? I, 
I, I really believe wholeheartedly he's the fellow, fellow prisoner with Paul by choice that says, no matter what happens, I won't leave your side. Aristocrus isn't known to be the Bible teacher. He's not known to be the answer man. It doesn't say he's got great leadership skills. It doesn't even say he's the best um, friend maker in the world. Who knows? Maybe Paul's his only true friend. Maybe he's a little socially awkward. The reality is it doesn't matter. Aristocrus is just that friend who is steadfast. He's part of Paul's world and Paul needs him. Why Tychicus is running letters. Why Onesimus is growing up. Aristocrus doesn't need to be brilliant. He's just a friend. That's what he brings to the small group. And I thought, what an interesting thing that God repeats his name over and over and over again. The value that he brings is that he's just a committed friend. He doesn't have the right thing to say. Sometimes you might, he might speak up and you go, oh my gosh. But he's sold out for Jesus and he's right there with you. Have you ever thought maybe that's who God's calling you to be? Maybe you've thought, Lord, I don't memorize well. I don't learn well. I'm not the best people person. I kind of am this way. I'm a little bit awkward. That's why small group community is just not for me. I wonder if that's why Aristocrus' name is in scripture. Maybe your gift is just being steadfast. No matter what happens, you're not giving up. No matter who fails, no matter who falls away, Jesus is worth it. And he's got a plan. Goes a little bit further in your Bible. You can look in verse 10. Aristocus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him. Oh, Mark. We know Mark is the gospel writer, don't we? I mean, Mark is this great guy, companion of Peter. He's probably the one's taking notes from Peter and he's writing people's letter. Peter's a little, little, little too active maybe to sit down. And God inspires him. We know that's him. But we know in Acts chapter 15, verse 36, that the mark that journeyed with Paul was the reason that the small group originally broke up. It was Paul and Barnabas. They were close buddies. Barnabas had mentored Paul. They were all in for Jesus. Their hearts was right. But Mark abandoned them when things got tough on one of those journeys. He bailed out early. Not for evil reasons that it says. It doesn't say he loved the world. We'll get to that. It just says that he abandoned them. And Barnabas and Paul split ways. A small group broke up. And Mark was the reason. So now he's back. He's forgiven. This is the most unique member of a small group. He's the restored member. It's hard when someone's a part of our inner circle and we feel like they've done something wrong to us to offer to them what Christ has offered to us, isn't it? Restoration. You see, what, what Paul and this small group has offered to Mark, most likely through authentic repentance and reality of Jesus Christ, is restoration, not only forgiveness. Forgiveness. 
It's not just I forgive you, but I can't stand to look at you anymore because it takes me back to that. That's not really forgiveness. He's offered restoration. What if Paul would have been like most of us would be tempted to be? I forgive you, but you need to go away. What would have happened to Mark's life? Would he have ever written the gospel? Would he have ever been useful for the kingdom? Every small group is filled with members who are being restored. But your small group, like we should be the ones saying, I want to be quick to forgive and quick to bring restoration because God's plan for you hasn't failed. And how good is it to have someone like a Mark knowing that a small group, hear this, is about restoration, not about reminding people of their faults. Just like life in Christ is about what God has saved you to much more than what he has rescued you from. Maybe you're thinking, I've walked away from a church, from relationships, from a small group. Maybe I just abandoned things when things got hard before and I'm embarrassed to be in another small group. Maybe you're a Mark. Maybe you're a Paul that needs to offer a Mark restoration. If God could do that here through Mark, what might he do in your community? Wouldn't you want to see it? can't imagine how awesome it would have been for Paul to see who Mark turned into but he saw enough to tell people one day he'll come to you and I'm telling you you treat him in a certain way Mark is so bought in what a testimony he says Mark he goes a little bit further and then he gets to Jesus who is called justice in verse 11 look in your Bible with me Jesus, who is called justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers in the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. This is the only place we hear about Jesus, who is also called justice. There's justices other places in scripture, but this is the only one where it's Jesus, who is also called justice. It's the only introduction we have. All we know about him is this. He's part of small group, Paul's small group, and he's a Jew. That's it. I want you to know, I, I know that, that Christ is the foundation of our relationship, of our small groups, but sometimes I think commonalities are the icing on the cake. Like, I can do without them, but they're always sweet. Like, I, I love knowing that I can talk to you about church, but I can talk to you about cars, sports, or kids. Sometimes it's just nice having someone in the room who is just easier to talk to. It's not the substance of who you are, and quite honestly, it can't stay that way. And I don't think Paul's uh, recognition is that it was. But he's a friend in the small group. He's the connector. He's probably the greeter. When they come, a Jew comes into their circle, he's probably the guy who's like, I got this. I think sometimes we'd be tempted to call him shallow, but scripture doesn't allude to that at all. It says 
he's one of Small's girl, Paul group that greets you and he's a Jew maybe that ministers to Paul maybe that ministers to others but maybe he's just a friend I think friends are important in our small group I think sometimes we just need to say I do connect with this person well or that guy connects with everybody or she always makes everybody feel welcome if that's your role that guy made scripture run towards Jesus and be who you are again nothing's listed about how much he knew about the word or how great of a teacher he was three more verse 12 through the verse 13 Epaphras who is one of you a servant of Jesus Christ greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God for I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and those in Laodicea and Herapolis Epaphras we actually read about earlier on the book of Colossians he's actually from this church sent to Paul and what Paul is saying here is y'all he is the home guy made good on his faith in fact he's a prayer warrior of our group he's always struggling on your behalf like you're on his heart he is lifting people up you notice it doesn't say that everybody's a prayer warrior if you read through this passage it doesn't say everybody's like that but Epaphras is his life is authentic what they knew here has only gotten better away like he is an incredible man for the kingdom and he's always in prayer for the church every small group needs a prayer warrior some people are drawn and prayer comes fluidly. In fact, the real world conversations are harder for you because prayer comes so easily. Some struggle in prayer. It, it's all right. The goal is not to put this meter against each other. But what I want you to know is part of Paul's small group was a man who had a heart for the kingdom. And he was just going to pray for those who are struggling. In fact, I would probably say that Epaphras would be the guy that says to the person who steps away from the small group, hey, can I help you get connected to another one? Because I just really care about you. He's the person who's asking you how they can pray and following up. Are you a prayer warrior? A small group is a place for prayer. It goes a little bit further with two more. Luke, who we're familiar with in verse 14, and a man named Demas. The Bible says this, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Luke, as you know, is the one who wrote the gospel of Luke. Uh, here, he's not that dude yet. I think God used this small group to help make him into who he would be. He's just a, love, a beloved physician. That's how he's known. I would say this, in the group, he's the need meter. Need someone to help you out? Luke's like, I'm in. You feeling bad? I got this, right? Someone needs to untie the donkey? I'm in. Just whatever you need, however I can minister to you, I'm in Luke the physician. In your worst moments, I'm stepping up. I'll help, there. I'll help you out. If you're feeling better, I'm high-fiving you. I think sometimes it's pretty awesome that we know being a part of God's small group community isn't about charisma, it's not about brilliance, Sometimes it's just about saying, how can I help? I see that need in your life. How can I pour into it? And then Paul closes with Demas, as does Demas. Demas. He's mentioned twice um, in a good way and one time in a bad way in Scripture. This is one of the good ways. In 2 Timothy 4.10, 
after Colossians is written, we would read these words. Demas has left us because he was in love with the world. Demas was the fleeting member. It doesn't say that Demas was evil. It doesn't say that Demas was a bad mouther. It just said he loved the community of the world. He just it loved the things that mimicked what God had for him. It didn't even say Demas was scared of the hard times. It just says his heart wasn't in it. Not in a small group, but in the kingdom call. No one ever walks into a small group saying, I'm probably going to be the Demas. But millions have walked out of churches being the Demas. That draw on the world is just strong. But here's what I want you to know. Even here, Demas is known. He didn't have to be Demas. He didn't have to walk away. He didn't have to make up all of these excuses on why he wasn't running with that crew anymore. A small group gives people chances. Because Christ gave you chances. So whether they've been a Demas before, you don't label them to be a Demas again. Something brought them back. Whether they have fallen before doesn't mean they'll fall again. See, a small group, a Christian community, it keeps the pride of self in check. That gives grace to us so freely, but holds it against you so easily. The last we hear about Demas is that he's in love with the world. didn't have to be his story and it doesn't have to be anyone who's ever come in contact with the bride of Christ what I love about Paul is he wasn't responsible for sending someone away they loved the church see a small group is about what the book of Colossians is about Jesus is worth it all. And when you're suffering, it's worth it. And having this small group around you helps you endure to God's glory. So when you're struggling, it's still worth it. Encourage each other day after day. Strive towards the kingdom together. Christ died for the bride, not for the person. Keep your eyes looking up. This morning, the invitation is to Jesus, not to a small group. Because the reality is, he is the all in all. And so if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that's what brought Paul's group together, was Jesus what he had given to them and they had accepted. 
So it begins there. But secondly, if this is the smallest your group gets, I would just encourage you to lay it before Jesus because he has better planned for you. And he had Paul write his out by name as an encouragement to you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Father, we thank you that you give us such incredible instruction. God, today, as we're in this place, we know, just like Esteban showed us earlier, it's not baptism or small group or singing songs that brings us salvation. Those things don't even really bring us together. It's you. And Father God, the world desires to mimic community so that we would be in love with it and we would be fleeting that we would give ourselves excuses, that we would give our husbands excuses and wives excuses. But God, you're better than that. You're worth more than that. So let Paul's encouragement to the church be ours today, that we would keep looking up. But Lord, I pray this morning, if there are men and women in this room, that don't have a relationship with you, that that's where it would begin. And if there are those who do have a relationship with you, God, Lord, that you would help them be and seek community with men like Paul told us about. Imperfect, all unique, but brought together by the name of Jesus. So in your name we pray. Amen.